Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert Little, an evangelical, non-denominational convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is based on one particular idea. It began for me when a pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Well, that kind of question drove me into a deep study of my Christian faith, much like our guest this week on the show did as well. And for me, it landed me into looking into the Catholic Church, into the history of the Catholic faith, into Catholic theology, into what actual Catholics believed about their faith. And for the first time, I realized what I thought Catholics believed was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on honest, simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I'm joined by my friend and host of the What is Truth podcast, Jack Morgan, to tell his journey, to tell his story of conversion into the Catholic faith. As a non-denominational evangelical youth minister, Jack began exploring questions of the history of his faith and began seeing that the early church didn't match what he was believing and practicing in his own Christian context, his own non-denominational church, and began uh, digging deeper, asking more questions and digging below the surface and finding more and more things that led him to begin to consider Catholicism. This is a fantastic long-form interview. Sit back, get comfortable. If you're driving, well, being for a long drive, it's a great conversation. I don't think you're going to want to stop this or pause this at any, any point because it, it's, it's really good. Jack's a great storyteller. He has some profound insights to make in this episode, and I think you will love it. I really hope that you do. It's a good one for, for the record book. So thanks to Jack for, for having this conversation with me this week. This conversation and others on this show are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordial catholic and our one-time sponsors at paypal.me slash cordial catholic. This, friends, as I mentioned before, is not my full-time job, so your help to underpin this show helps it to keep going and growing. And if you want to support this mission, check the links in the show notes for how you can do that through Patreon or PayPal. And thank you in advance for your consideration and for your support of this thing. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Jack Morgan on his journey into the Catholic Church. Absolutely on fire for the faith. It's a real barn burner. A real, uh, what do you call that, revival mission. Uh, uh, Roll out the tent, put the poles up. We're here for, for a real revival, guys. It's a great conversation. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel. Hit the bell so you get notified when new videos come out. And if you're listening on podcasts, hey, thanks. Make sure you subscribe to the show as well. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, please leave a rating or review. Those help to push the podcast out to new people. My guest this week is someone whose podcast I've been on, it feels like years ago. Jack Morgan, he is a Catholic podcaster who runs the podcast, What is Truth, which helps others to find 
the fullness of truth in Jesus Christ and the Catholic Church. Jack is a convert to the Catholic faith, and since his conversion has been uh, on fire for the Catholic faith and helping others rediscover the richness of the Christian tradition, which is found in the Catholic Church, ultimately being recreated in Christ. Jack resides in the Bronx, New York City, and is a recruiter for a missionary catechist apostolate called Seton Teaching Fellows, which seeks to bring an orthodox Catholic education to children in underserved communities across America. Jack, I am thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you for agreeing to be on here. Thanks for being here. Uh, Welcome and hello. Yeah, thanks, Keith. It's really great to be on. Uh, Also, thank you to everybody out there listening. Um, I I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation whenever you came onto my podcast, and I feel like we have semi-similar stories, uh, and so I I wanted to, um, yeah, I was really thrilled whenever you you asked that I would come on. And so, uh, yeah, also one thing I noticed, you, you're doing really well with that introduction. I, that, that's one thing that I've always worked on with, with podcasting. You, you like the first couple of times you do it, you're like, wow, that was really rough. And then you start to get in a rhythm and you're like, wow, this is like second nature. It's just like shooting free throws or something like that. So, Oh, I try. It's the hardest part is for me to read something out like, like that. And I, you know, I often walk around the house when I get a, when I have a guest coming up, I often walk around the house and to repeat that back to myself, the, their bio is so like, kind of memorize because I still find reading that is challenging and I've really missed up on a few on a few big names I've introduced Lawrence Feingold the wrong way before I've always had the these you know these these guests who are like oh this is the biggest guest I've had in the show I can't believe it and I totally go bonkers in their bio and it's really embarrassing and that just set the episode on the different course. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it could. I also think that it's good whenever we mess up to like, you know, I mean, I, I know that you upload like a lot of your content just like straight from. So like you, you obviously edit out like probably parts that are just unbearable, but I, I like to keep in a lot of my ums and stuff like that when I'm editing because I want people to realize that I'm a human being, yeah. uh, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I think that what makes us, you know, saints is being fully human. So sometimes that comes with little, little gaffes and, oh, and oofs. So that's, yeah. That's well said. I'm part robot. So I'm an Android <laughs> yeah. like data, data, data. Oh my goodness. I'll edit that out. I'm an Android like data from Star Trek. So I'm kind of like, I, I, I walked that fine line between human and, and, and computer. Yeah. yeah. It's like a reverse incarnation. Like yeah. you become more, more robot. More Actually, robot. this is, this is uh, the kind of the banter section at the beginning of a podcast. This is a perfect conversation <laughs> yeah. to talk about, but the organization I recruit for um, Seton teaching fellows, I was on a recruiting trip for them this uh, past week. And on both, we, we go around to like college campuses to basically recruit young men, men and women to come and teach the faith to uh, kids in inner cities uh, for like a missionary year. And it, it, I did it and it was really formative for me. And I really loved that job. Um, well, not that job, but that mission, because it is a mission. Um, a lot of times cat, the Satan will try and like convince people that are on mission that it's a job. Um, and so it's, it's important for me to clarify that. But anyways, uh, I wanted to stay on. So I went to um, on recruiting trips this past week to Ohio recruiting trip and I went to Bowling Green State University on Thursday and Friday, and they have these robots that deliver food <laughs> to people. These, yeah. It's it's absolutely wild. They're called Starship robots, and I, I was just telling my my friend who also works on the team with me that that if you could have like a meme of like this what the Jetsons thought 2020 would look like <laughs> versus what 2020 actually is, they're like these little mouse droid looking robots, like the mouse droids off of Star Wars. Yeah. So. 
anybody who has no idea what I'm talking about, just look it up on the internet. It's like just a big version of those just like driving around. And it's really funny because if you get close to them, they'll start screeching and like get really angry at you. And so I don't know. I was just like, I don't know why, but I was completely enamored by, by these things. Cause yeah, it was just like, yeah, blew my mind that people needed this to deliver food to them. Yeah, that's, um, so that's anyways. amazing. And they have an attitude too. Obviously I've seen a video of one on YouTube that goes through an active police investigation that goes under the police tape and just kind of keeps going right in the middle of this crime scene and just goes right through and keeps going. And the police are like, well, what can, what can we do? <laughs> like, so they, they have an attitude. These robots, these robots. Yeah, got- it's not like they can like say, yo, like stop or yeah. put your hands up yeah, or whatever. Like, like, they just kind of have to kind of have to go for it's, it. Yeah, it's, got so. the, it's got the tacos on board. It's got to deliver, deliver that, that supper. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome, yeah. Jack. Look, so you uh, you reached out to me a while back when you began your podcast and, and laid out for me a bit of your journey at that point, explaining who you were and what this podcast was. And uh, you're, you're right in saying we have kind of similar stories because I remember at that point you had a story that uh, yeah, it was very similar to, to my experience, my journey. It was kind of through 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 ministry, through through studying, through reading more. You began to to look into the Catholic faith. Uh, a lot of similar touch points to me. So the the reason why I want to have you on the show is to, to tell that story. And so I'll get out of the way in a minute. And let you let you do that, as I try and do on the show. And then we'll stop along the way and kind of dig, dig deeper in different different things. And I want to ask you too about some of the guests you've had on your show because you have some pretty cool guests and and dug in more to the Catholic faith and really cool interesting topics. So I'm curious to hear bit more of those things too. But I think to start, just take us back as far as you want to go in your journey, uh, Jack, and, 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 and walk us forward and towards your, uh, your full communion with the Catholic Church, because I think it's a pretty cool story. And I, and I, I want to hear more. So I'm sure listeners do too. Yeah, I, I think it's a really powerful thing that I've discovered it's just the idea, you know, of testimonies, like that's kind of cliche to say, but I mean, the Bible literally says that like they overcame the, the dragon or the serpent by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. And so like, I find that the best episodes on podcasts are conversion stories because there's something incarnate about them. There's something, you know, just genuinely divine. And when you hear how God specifically interacts with persons, as opposed to just abstract ideas about the church, which is great. You know, like I, I love reading theology. I love reading like arguments and apologetics, but I, I think that if we completely abstract from that too much and, and too often, then we forget that like our faith is something that is meant to be lived. Um, it, it's, it's a way of living. That's why they called, you know, the first Christians away. Um, and so I think that, that I say all this to say that the testimonies are super powerful. Like they're just amazing. They're, they're great. I love every time they have a testimony because I get to hear like some crazy, awesome stuff, you know, like I've had on people who were Jehovah's witnesses. I've had on people who uh, were, I haven't had a Mormon on yet, but what was the other? Oh, I think I've had a seventh day Adventist on, or I, I'm in the process of doing that. I, I'm sure that you start to kind of lose count as well. Um, whenever you're doing these and you've done a lot more than I have. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've really loved talking to people about their, their story and, and their testimony. And I think that was also the most powerful thing for me whenever I was going through the process of conversion. I think it's because like hearing like your story and hearing my story as like, probably as insignificant as they, you know, are, and also sometimes seem to us, uh, they really are just like actual like moments in salvation history 
in which the Holy Spirit like chose a particular person and like worked with that person in in the fullness of their depravity and their uh, neglect of God and like brought him to himself. And so it's just, it's really awesome. And I know I just spent like an entire monologue before ever even launching to it, but I, I just want to say that, that there is something very beautiful about these stories that we share yeah. because they, they're not about us. They're about God. I mean, they include us, which is great. And God is not selfish in the sense of like, Oh, like it's all about God and not about us. Like God includes us in it. That's why we're co-creators. But ultimately like the one authoring these conversion stories isn't, isn't, you know, Keith or, or Jack, it's, it's God, the Trinity. Um, so I, I think that that's like something that I have been really, uh, meditating on a lot recently. Um, but anyways, going in a little bit to, to what you're saying, I grew up in Alabama. So the middle of the Bible belt, very, very, very anti-Catholic area. Only 9% of the state of Alabama is Catholic and the majority of the state that is religious um, is Southern Baptist. So there, there are quite a mix of denominations involved in that, but Southern Baptists are like very, very far from a sacramental worldview. So as you can assume, growing up in that environment, especially growing up outside of the church, I grew up with a lot of misconceptions about Catholicism, especially because I went to a public school um, in the South. So it's like secularized version of Protestantism, you know, because like most of my teachers were probably Christian, probably were evangelical, but obviously they couldn't teach, you know, in the same way, like other people could teach about God. So it's like a secular version of the Protestant narrative about history, you know, and, and there definitely have been, you know, bad moments in the church's history where, you know, the people that occupy um, that title that are given that gracious title of being sons and daughters of God within the church um, and being in full communion with the church, uh, the body of Christ, where they've acted less than worthy of the gospel to which they've been called. However, you know, that doesn't, you know, nullify the word of God, you know, our actions. Fortunately, very fortunately, it doesn't nullify God. Um, and so like, I, I still though grew up hearing some of these realities, but honestly, yeah. a lot of times they over-exaggerated or at least not, not very well represented in the sense of like the totality of history or also the totality of the Catholic argument for, uh, yeah, for, for everything that Catholics believe. So I, I grew up in this environment going to church pretty regularly um, in an evangelical church um, and then kind of mingling with a Methodist church throughout my younger years. And, and this Methodist church was a contemporary version of the Methodist church. Like I didn't really know much about church politics at the time, but apparently like there was a lot of arguments between the, the 9 a.m. service, which was very <laughs> traditional versus uh, the contemporary service who used a lot of like music, et cetera. Um, but I, I would really say that I never had a genuine encounter with something like the gospel until I was in college. And I, I say that in an interesting way because I thought for the longest time that I was living as a Christian or at least like kind of had like the idea of God back in, in the back of my mind and that I would one day like live for God or whatever and have this kind of you know, conversion. However, the, the later that I moved into my adult life, there were things which had never been answered uh, for me or, or problems I never considered that actually led me away from Christianity altogether. And that wasn't 
necessarily like a militant atheism. I was always kind of sympathetic to Christianity. Um, I was, I would say agnostic. I didn't believe that God was real. I had a a lot of issues with like young earth creationism, which I thought was the majority of of Christians, Uh, especially growing up in that environment. It's hard not to believe it's the majority of Christians because I was like obviously going to, to schools where, not schools, not schools, but I was going to, to churches where sometimes they would talk about the, you know, dinosaurs on the ark, et cetera. Um, and so like, you know, I, I'm not throwing shade at, at people that, that believe that because honestly, I don't know enough about science in order to uh, make a well-informed judgment on, on those issues. I know that where the majority of scientists stand, but just because the majority believe something doesn't mean they're right, et cetera. Um, so I'm not making a statement in one way or another. I, I believe that that debate doesn't actually matter at the end of the day in the sense of like whether or not Christianity is true. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, by the way, so don't misquote me, but I, I saying it doesn't matter in reference to the fact of the truth of Christianity. So anyways, like had that and was presented with the idea that, you know, like evolution, et cetera. Um, and, you know, the problem of evil and what happens to, you know, people born in Hindu communities in India that never know anything remotely approaching the gospel. So a lot of very basic, like new age atheist arguments, you know, against, uh, or not new age, new atheists, I I mix it up, new atheist arguments against Christianity and against religion. I therefore came to, to just believe that God, you know, didn't exist, or at least that I had no idea whether or not he exists and he probably didn't. And so I, I spent about a year in, in that kind of environment and it was miserable. <laughs> so it wasn't a very pleasant experience for me, not saying that every atheist ever is miserable, but I, for me, it was just miserable. Like I had a lot of questions like, why, why do I exist? Like I was the kind of kid that, that stared at myself in the mirror whenever I was like five years old and was like, I'm Jack Morgan. <laughs> Like, that's weird. Like, like this conglomeration of skin and like everything is like a, a person. Like, and I have something like a soul, you know, like, or, or like I'm alive, you know, and, and my name is Jack. So like, I, I had like really out of body, like thoughts, you know, like <laughs> as a kid. And so like, just, just the idea that, that, you know, the idea that, that we are just, the result of, of random chance wasn't very persuasive to me for several reasons. And I can honestly, like I have a lot more f- well-formed thoughts about that now. Um, not as well-formed as, as others. So I'm going to decline to be an expert <laughs> on that topic, but basically essentially I uh, always was, was kind of close. Um, not, not in my actions in in my, in my intellect, I was always kind of close took it's taking a longer time for the the will to line up with the the will and the heart to line up with what i i know to be true um and so anyways i eventually was about to go back to auburn for my second year of school i had transferred uh, from the university of south alabama where i spent my first half of my freshman year kind of not knowing what i wanted to do with my life playing video games pretty frequently not really having a social life. And so I transferred to Auburn 
where I continued to not really uh, have <laughs> have a social life and to play video games. Although I did for a period of time enroll in a fraternity, I ended up somehow becoming the pledge class president, which <laughs> is is extraordinarily extraordinarily interesting because I could never see myself being that, but I kind of got it by by happenstance because in the spring semester, not as many people try out for these fraternities or or try to like i forgot what it's called it's rush yeah they don't not as many people rush a fraternity in the spring so there was only five of us who were in the pledge class and i ended up being the one where basically people like were like <laughs> not it and did nose goes and i was the one that was it so um i i didn't make it through though because even though i didn't believe in god really I remember like having an inclination to to something like Christianity or just to, to like transcendental reality. So I went to a Bible study that they were hosting and I remember uh, the the guys there like beforehand, you know, talking about like which girls they had like, you know, had sex with like right before. So, um, and I apologize. This is, this is a family friendly channel. That's too much uh, information, but uh, yeah, like that, that was kind of the reality um, was that they were not talking about great things before the uh, Bible study. And so then the Bible study was about the sacrifice of Abraham uh, or the sacrifice of Isaac. And I was just like, God, even though I, even though I would have still said that I was agnostic, I was like, God wants me to give this up, or I, I at least should give this up. Maybe not even God's calling me, but I need to like stop doing this because this is not leading me to become a better person or whatever, or to ultimate happiness or something like that. So yeah, really confused. I remember Jordan Peterson one time said that it's really foolish for people to say that, that human beings cannot hold contradictory thoughts. Like, like some people like assert that human beings cannot hold two contradictory thoughts and, and like believe them. But like, that is just completely untrue to reality. Like, <laughs> like reflecting on my life and reflecting on me even yeah, now, like, yeah. like I definitely hold like deep seated beliefs that contradict like the beliefs that I, that I propose to uphold, you know, like, and, and so like part of Christ sanctifying me is, is eliminating those really stupid deep seated beliefs and, and replacing them with, um, you know, his love. And so I uh, I dropped the fraternity, kept playing video games like 12 hours a day. And then um, I was really good at Fortnite. Like I got super good at Fortnite. Um, not not like actually as good as like anybody who was like really, really good at it. But like I wanted to like play that game every day of my life. And so it was just really easy to me to run from like hardship by like escaping to games. Uh, and, you know, if the world doesn't matter anyways, like why why shouldn't I just, you know, kind of soak or milk, milk, whatever pleasure I can get out of it. That was kind of my, my mind, my thought process all the while kind of like in the back of my mind being like, wait, but there is something more to reality. Right. So anyways, I, um, listened to a bunch of like Sam Harris, Ben Shapiro debates and, and random stuff. Um, throughout my summer that year. And I, I hadn't really ran into like actual theist debates with, with atheists or Christian debates with atheists. So I just thought that, that theists were like not very intelligent. Um, and so like I, I, I had grown up with that stereotype just because of the environment that I grew up in. So anyways, I kind of came to a head whenever I watched this video on abortion and it was actually, I think his name is Kermit Gosnell, Dr. Kermit Gosnell. I think it's just Dr. Gosnell, maybe. Uh, or I, I know at least it's just Dr. Gosnell. And he was an abortionist who, like, really mistreated some women, even even beyond, like, you know, what, what you know, a Planned Parenthood would typically do. You know, like, he was cre- having, like, illegal abortions, back alley stuff, like, 
killing babies after they had already been delivered. Um, but he like had failed the abortions, et cetera. Um, and I remember watching that and I was just like, this is wrong. Like human life is sacred. Every human life is sacred. This is wrong. This should not be done. And if every human being tomorrow woke up and said, this is, this is, this is actually a good thing. Like killing this child is good. Killing babies is good. I, I don't think that that would make it right. So I knew that morality was objective, but then once I knew that morality was objective, I was like, it can't be objective outside of God. Um, and, and there's a bunch of reasons to why that people can explore and more of, uh, and more depth. Like I wasn't necessarily reading philosophical literature at the time. I just kind of came to that conclusion. It was like, I, I don't care if people like question it more and more and like try and like poke holes in something and like be like, well, what about this? Or what about that? It's just like, I look at reality and see it, what it is like some things are just wrong and it doesn't matter whether or not people start calling it right, you know? And so like, I realized like, yes, like God is God exists. And so I decided to become a Christian. I don't, I don't know why, um, probably because I grew up in it. Um, but the more that I spent time in the evangelical church that I started going to back at Auburn, I realized like more and more that, um, yeah, I, I, I needed to, you know, actually, I don't, I don't even know where I was going there with that thought. That's funny. Um, but anyways, <laughs> look, I love, I love when God does this, whenever you have a thought and then he humbles you on, on, on air. I actually don't want you to take this out unless you want to take it out of your, uh, of your, of your broadcast. So, um, anyways, I, I got to Auburn, got involved in this, uh, evangelical church, this mega church. So, it was actually part of this thing called ARC, the Association of Related Churches. So if anybody wants to look them up, it's basically like Hillsong, but in the U.S. And I think Hillsong might even be a part of ARC. And so basically a bunch of churches that look like kind of a Hillsong-esque vibe, you know, crazy worship music. Um, and I don't mean crazy in the sense of like, wow, it's crazy. But like, it's like, you know, like really cool looking worship yeah, music, yeah. Um, at least from like a kind of uh, a modern perspective. And then, you know, like uh, a preacher gets up and says something very inspirational um, and, and like with a little bit of exegesis um, or like for those who don't know what exegesis means, because it's kind of a like, what do you call it? Um, what's the what's the phrase? It's like a, a like a, an academic word that's kind of like can sometimes be snobby. It's just like, dude, just say you're interpreting the Bible unless you're <laughs> writing a scholarly paper. Um, but it's like, yeah, so they were interpreting the Bible and like trying to read the scriptures and like, you know, pronounce them to the community anyways I got involved in this church and I like got sucked in like I, I wanted to be a part of it I thought like you know like this is this is what you know the early church was like was just a bunch of people loving Jesus loving people around them and like it, it should be big like church should be massive like thousands of people should be coming like people should be changing you know there should be kind of like a revival going on I, I think that I that was kind of an assumption that I made based off of the environment that I was raised in. Cause in the South, we always kind of talk about, you know, revival, like that, that form of evangelicalism is very based on the idea of revival. So I, I got super involved at this church and within like a couple months, I, or not a couple months, but within a year I was leading a youth group. And so every Sunday I would uh, go and lead 50 
high schoolers, around 50 high schoolers in their, uh, basically like their youth group. So I was, was kind of like a youth pastor. I wasn't paid and that's not the title that I would be given um, because the, the church is structured a little bit differently. But that's essentially like what I, I was doing what a lot of youth pastors would do essentially. And I was leading this in the basement of a million plus dollar mansion uh, <laughs> that was the mansion of Tim Hudson, who is a pitcher for the Atlanta Braves for the longest time. Go Braves. I'm a big Braves fan. <laughs> um, he went to Auburn. So he moved back to Auburn and he had won a world series with the giants, the San Francisco giants. So I would literally be leading uh, youth group and like getting up in front of kids and speaking about something or like introducing the speaker for the night, like literally five, like, feel away from a world series trophy. So it's like really cool, you know? And so I only bring up all this stuff, not to be like, Oh wow, this is dope. But just to, to kind of, I guess, show people a little bit of what kind of I was inculcated in before I converted. So I, I had a really good life. I was really involved with this mega church. I was in the men's leadership group with the campus pastors. So there's like 6,000 people going to this church every Sunday, a, a ton of young, young adults. And the head pastor of this church was inviting me to his men's like leadership group. So like basically all of us were kind of like, not, not all of us, but there was a strong sense that most of us in there were going to be like pastors one day. So I, I really was in it. I was in this really cool movement. Seemed like there was a lot going on, how that God was moving a lot, you know, and, and th- there's, there's issues every, every once in a while with like a, a group like that, you know, just like there's issues with the Catholic church. But, but basically like, despite any issues that I may have had or any issues that anybody would have had, cause everybody has issues with everything. Um, I was in a really good place in my life. Like I, I there wasn't really a need for me to, to explore something different. And so that's why it's really interesting that I am now Catholic. So I'm going to, I'm going to pause there um, since I've, I've talked for a while, but if you have any follow-up questions, uh, just shoot them. Yeah. You're, you're on track for a good record of unbroken speech there. Uh, it's always a, run, a running <laughs> clock, right? The joke is the, the, uh, the Tish Oxenrider 45 minute mark, I think is like the record for the longest guest talking, sharing their story. You have, you, you're going there for a while, Jack. So congratulations. Thanks. I love getting out of the way and, and just listening. And I, I love getting sucked into stories like yours, but thank you for pausing. Cause I have some notes here. Things, two things I want to touch on. And the first is you mentioned earlier on the idea that there are some things that kind of sucked you out of the Christianity that you'd, you'd been raised in, essentially, right? And you mentioned things like uh, the problem of evil, and you mentioned young earth creationism. I think that's so fascinating because this is something for me that, that's really on my heart to try and frame for people. Now, regardless of what you think about creationism as a topic, like you, you said this very, very well, Jack, that you kind of felt like that's what most people believed in. Because that's the what you've been exposed to, you know, coming from Alabama, that version of Christianity that you were encountering, that's what people around you believed. So you were reacting to that version of Christianity that you were raised in, right? And that for me was a huge realization. I think Dr. Doug Beaumont, a good friend of the show, first mentioned that, talking about deconversions, right? People are often in, in deconversions or leaving the Christian faith or leaving a version of Christian faith are leaving that version of Christian faith, like that 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 
usually pretty small version too of Christianity that they knew or grew up with thinking that's all of Christianity. I have had lots of listeners right into the show. I have some, I have some friends. I have some people that I know in, in my orbit of actual uh, close friends who've, who've left Christianity or taken steps back from Christianity. That's a version of Christianity and their journeys. And lots of these people, their journeys really mirror a lot of ways journeys like ours only we got to go a different way. Instead of rejecting Christianity altogether, in my case, I had very similar questions to, to, to friends of mine, and they rejected this. Or I, and I, and I, I was led to say, well, but, well, is there a different thing of this, a different version of this, and began to uncover Catholicism. So I love that you mentioned that, because that for me is a huge, a huge thing that I think a lot of people don't recognize, but you have in that case, in hindsight, that the Christianity that you're often rejecting is just a version of Christianity that you often think is the whole thing. But you look at, for example, creationism, uh, which is neither here nor there, as you said, in terms of how I would see the necessary for, for salvation. But a small minority might believe that, right, in, in, uh, in the global scheme of things, right? But it seems like everyone that you know, in one case, believes that. So it seems like that's Christianity that you have to, to, to reject, Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, to, to piggyback and, and one to clarify something, whenever I say like young earth creationism, I'm very specific because I believe in creationism, like because as a Catholic and as a Christian, we have to believe that, that God out of his infinite goodness, you know, created yeah. Yeah. humankind. The, the question is whether or not, you know, the biblical texts are specifically trying to represent literal reality or whether or not they're speaking to something much, much deeper. And, and so like, I would believe possibly like something like an old earth creationism and old earth evolutionary creation creationism is possible, you know, and I, I think a young earth creationism is, is actually possible. I, I'm not, I'm not saying what I necessarily like yeah, yeah. believe. I think that, that through my studies, which we can get into in a little bit later, like I realized that science actually is not necessarily like always going to be like truth and that we could if in the like very fabric of our measurements and stuff have made a mistake in how we measure things like it's very possible that young earth creationism actually could be true um it's just that currently the scientific like evidence doesn't point that way and and so like i'm fine with the idea that you know god created in a certain way and um i i think that god created I mean, that, that's, that's my, that's my only position that I uphold is God created everything in his infinite goodness. Um, and one other thing you were talking on, you know, I guess that idea of, you know, is there something else out there, uh, you know, as opposed to like, you know, just that one version of Christianity that I believed in. So like you and I both went some, another direction And I think that the thing is that a lot of the issues that Protestants that deconvert or evangelicals that did that apostatize or or just leave the faith, like the reason that they leave the Christian faith is because they don't have the Christian faith. And what I mean by that is that they have a very baseline understanding, but they don't have the church. And, and so like the church's like teachings and its magisterial authority, et cetera, as ordained by Christ and not because the church is cool or because the church makes sense or because the church has this secular power, but because God has always worked in and through his people, you see in the church answers to these problems, or at least like 
a possibility of answers. So like, there's no real problem for belief in God that I actually have now. Like I can understand that some are like more persuasive against others, but like there's always some form of possible answer and people are always thinking about these things. And so I, 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 I believe that what you're saying is hundred percent accurate that like whenever people are de- deconverting from Christianity, they need to be very careful that they don't just like throw the baby out with the bathwater as opposed to like looking around, you know, because I probably would have just apostatized if there wasn't the Catholic church, like, this stuff wouldn't have made sense to me. Um, but yeah, anyways. Yeah, and, my... it's, and it's often, unfortunately, the the witness of poor Catholics and even good, well-meaning yeah. Catholics like, our, like ourselves as we try and be. And, and I have a, a, a rubbish witness sometimes, so I often come across as a bad Catholic despite my best efforts or my my lack of efforts sometimes that, that cause people who are going through those processes not to even think of the Catholic faith as a live option sometimes, right? Like, I mean, they might... They might be deconverting or apostatizing from from Protestant Christianity and not know any good Catholics even think, oh well, maybe the Catholic Church has options over here. It's it's unfortunate. Like that that falls back on our shoulders, I think, to educate and to and to catechize and to live out robust, vibrant, joy filled Catholic lives. But it's unfortunate that I think so many times the the church isn't a live option for those deconverting because they just don't see Catholics living a life that's compelling that that they want to explore. Or know more about, right? Yeah. 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 I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. I, I, I think too, you also mentioned the this idea that uh, I think this is really interesting too. What what caused you to begin to actually uh, I guess dig in in your college years was encountering this extreme kind of abortion situation, right? Which I think it's really interesting because you recognize in in that, in your story, that morality must play a role. You recognize that, wait, this is too extreme. This idea of this extreme uh, abortion, this, this is obviously, this feels wrong to me. This doesn't feel right. And then they're encountering an idea that there must be morality. And of course, there's, there's objective morality must be connected to, to something, which, which we can call God. I, I, I think that's so interesting because I think so often, if we look at those extreme examples, and th- they're, they're good examples because they make people feel uncomfortable. And that makes them have to ask the question, well, if I feel uncomfortable, if this, if this, like you said, and this I think is so well, well done, Jack, you're so right on this. If everyone woke up tomorrow believing this and acting like this, the world would go to heck in a handbasket, right? Like that, yeah. that wouldn't work if everyone began behaving like this, right? We, we, we sense that, we sense there's, there's a, a, an injustice happening here. And I think at the extremes you know, murder, those kind of ex- war, those kind of extreme poverty. We see the we see examples like that. That makes anybody recognize that something wrong is going on here. And I think kudos to you for for pursuing that deeper. But I think those are good uh, good apologetic tools, good good cases for for there being a god. If if we can take those extreme examples and recognize, yeah, something is wrong there. We can we can nitpick over the small examples. Like we could argue here and there over or more mundane examples of things that seem wrong. But, but at the extremes, there are places where everyone goes, yeah, this is wrong. And if there are any examples of people doing that, there must be something, you know, rooting that, that, that sense of wrongness. So I think that's really cool. Those extreme examples where, where, yeah, you recognize what's going on here and you have to either ignore that, I guess, or begin to try to answer that question. And, I think that that's that's cool that you that's what began to draw you into it to a deeper exploration, Jack. That's that's kind of neat. Yeah, I, I think that 
it's good because a lot of times we walk through life and we just are completely what's the word we're completely numb to the things which happen around us and so it's things like the holocaust things like a nuclear bomb being dropped on on 16 million innocent civilians like that causes us oh by the way i don't know if that's actually true uh, hiroshima or nagasaki but exaggerative i mean not exaggerative in the sense that probably was more than that um but just kind of like chose a number anyways that, that wakes us up to reality like the reality that there's something really wrong you know i mean like a lot of atheists for a long time were were assembling like the triumph of of, you know, modern times and that man is, you know, going to redeem himself and we won't have wars anymore. And then the 20th century happened and, and, and people were faced with the reality that, you know, there might be something a little bit more to the world and more to evil than just the mistakes or the, the wrong computation of human beings, you know, like these outliers of humans that didn't think right. And so they, they are like, what's evil and we just need to get rid of them or whatever. No, like there's something, that cuts through the heart of every human being. And that's, that's the line of good and evil, you know, um, as, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn famously says. <laughs> yeah. And I find it really difficult to imagine a narrative where humans are progressing towards betterness or progressing towards any, anything good. When you look around the world today, I mean, in 2022, when we we're recording this, I mean, and say, yes, we're on a track to be more wholesome or more kind or more compassionate or more peaceful. I mean, those those kind of narratives that humans are doing this thing on their own by their own bootstraps and we're getting better and better every every year. Uh, I don't know, Jack. I'm, I don't know if that would, if I weren't a believer in, in God and his kingdom, really, really buy that narrative at this point. It doesn't seem like we're progressing towards betterment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you see it, you see it everywhere. Like even within, you know, circles that that we would have similar agreements with you know like there there's a pelagianism is a heresy that never yeah. left the planet you know like we we can work our way till salvation to salvation you know it's it's this fundamental juxtaposition against i think i use that word correctly but against uh, reality being accepted as a gift you know like like we take reality and do what we want with it no like we accept reality as a gift I was actually randomly in a town hall that was talking about abortion the other night. Um, and I, I just was kind of sitting back cause I wasn't a citizen in the area code. So I, I couldn't get up and talk. Um, and I was hearing arguments on both sides that um, I obviously agree with the pro-life side and I agree with the Catholic side, but th- there wasn't like much charity that I saw in the environment that there wasn't like a genuine love for neighbor and like, I think that the key to understanding like, or the key to solving the the issues that we have in our society is viewing life as a gift, viewing other people as a gift yeah, yeah. and not as a commodity to be used. And that, that's not the problem of secular people, in my opinion. I mean, yes, they do use people, but I think that the, the more scandalous thing is, is you and I <laughs> is how we, we can tend to use people and write them off. You know, we're, we're paralyzed by, our own inability to love people unless they are, you know, in our good graces, you know? And so like, we don't accept other people as a gift. So why would anybody else accept others as a gift? You know, who are, who, who will believe unless they've heard and who will have heard unless somebody has spoken it to them. And, you know, like that, that's, that's how it happens. And so, yeah, I, 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 
not to get too far off on a tangent, but I, I completely agree with you there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well said, Jack. Well said. Okay, so bring us back into your story. You were, I forget where you were now, but you were in college. You were, were at this mega church. You were, gosh, in a, in a World Series winning pitcher's basement <laughs> leading these youth groups. You're kind of at the, the, the apex, whether you knew it or not. You're, you know, you're, you're up there. I mean, that was, that's pretty cool stuff. Big baseball fan. So that, that, you're playing to the right crowd here, Jack. What, what happened next? What, what began to poke some holes in this, uh, this worldview of yours? Yeah. So, so I can, I feel like I tell this a different way every single time. And I think that's because it happened a million different ways all yeah, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But, Around that fall, so I was leading that youth group in the fall of 2019, and around halfway through that fall, I was starting to just have like a lot of questions about different things, various things, and the way that things were run, not only in like my church, but then just the wider like Christian world. Um, and so, and whenever I say Christian world, I would have said like. Catholics probably are not Christians. Like I was in circles of with people who believe that praying to saints like caused you to be open to the demonic and that like, you know, Catholics go to hell or like Catholics move a lot of random things. So I probably wouldn't have considered Catholics in that group. But within that Christian world, I saw a lot of like issues, you know. And I remember walking out of that leadership small group that I was talking about. We ate at this little breakfast place at six o'clock every Tuesday. No, I think it's Monday. Every Monday morning we would eat um, at six o'clock at this uh, breakfast place in Auburn, Alabama. And I remember walking out one day and my friend and I having a conversation, he was leading the youth group or the, the junior high youth group at the time I was leading the high school youth group. And I think he echoed uh, some similar sentiments to me. And then I remember him posting on his story later that day a episode of, I think, a show called Called. I think it's a podcast called Called, like C-A-L-L-E-D. And uh, it was by N.T. Wright. Or not by N.T. Wright, but they had N.T. Wright on the, the show. And that same day, I had gone to my political theory professor, who I was pretty close with, good friends with Dr. Jardine. He was a Catholic and he was probably the only person on the planet that if I thought a Catholic was going to heaven, it's probably him <laughs> for sure. I actually exaggerate that. Like I, I probably believe that more Catholics were going to heaven, but I, I definitely thought that Catholicism was a really dangerous ideology and probably like not Christian. So like people were saved kind of like what we say with, with Protestants and then even like people of other religions um, outside of Christianity that, that, could be saved is the idea that they're saved not in spite of certain beliefs that they have not because of. So that would definitely be kind of what I probably would have thought about Catholics. Anyways, I go to see him and I hear that he does these really cool things where he has these directed readings courses where he and just another student, um, there's one student in the class who reads some books for him and makes these book reports. And it's just like a really nice way to, to get a cool, good A in a class because you're just reporting to him. And so like, he's going to be generous. I mean, obviously you had to do your work, but like, it was really nice. Cause all you had to do was like summarize the, the reading. And I was like, I would love to do this. And then he said, would you like to do like new Testament studies? And so he's a political theory professor and I'm taking this like, we, we called it political theology, but it really didn't. I mean, it did have stuff to do with theology because a lot of the, the class that, that he taught was based in Christian theology. 
Um, and actually he was, and we may be able to talk about this late, a little bit later, but he actually, by studying a lot of Christian theology and where like certain things went wrong, I started to see that a lot of the, the problems that I had with secular people and even like some of my evangelical brethren were like problems that Catholics would have had with, with Protestants whenever they first, uh, left the the church and so i i started getting a lot of semi red pilled by this guy um <laughs> dr jardine over the course of my life so actually if i went back a little bit further in, in time i could tell the story from a little bit of a different angle involving a little bit of him but for sake of time i'm just going to skip that part just know that he he was kind of like the only little like r- small light in my life when it comes to catholicism that ended up converging on me pretty hard and so i i was offered to take a study in early Christian history based on N.T. Wright's Christian origins and the question of God series. So basically you, a bunch of readings on um, second temple Judaism and understanding the gospel within their historical context. So it was kind of a refutation actually of secular scholarship on the gospels and uh, biblical literature. However, reading through this, I realized that, wow, like, in order to understand certain things in the Bible, I need to understand the context of which they were written. You know, like I'm reading this in English in translations that, that sometimes translate things like not very literally and take Liberty. So like, I need to understand like what certain words mean, you know, like I probably should try and like read a a literal translation as much as possible and, and understand what the words mean. And for example, I, I, I didn't, this is, wasn't one of the words that I originally understood uh until later but say the the word binding and loosing like i used to think that binding and loosing meant like you know the ability to cast out demons you know but but what binding and loosing means if you look up in the jewish rabbinical like dictionary or i think encyclopedia it means like the ability to to bind or loose the jewish community to certain beliefs or to certain practices like a fasting day where you have to do it where it's morally irresponsible and also the ability to forgive sins and the ability to, you know, cast out demons. So like that, that was part of it, but it's only like one fourth of the picture. <laughs> and so I saw that, you know, Christ is giving those to, to Peter and then later on to the rest of the apostles. And so that was kind of one of those things. It's like, interesting. But another word that I actually think really plays into my, the way that I see the world and also I think the way the Catholics see the world, except in modern culture, we've kind of lost it, is the, the word kingdom of God. So like a lot of time, whenever you hear the word kingdom of, of heaven, which is the first um, translation you get because Matthews is always translated as kingdom of heaven. You think that he's like referring to like the kingdom that's in heaven. So like this, like, reality that's like otherworldly like kind of up in the sky thing you know whereas you know in in ancient judaism they view like heaven and earth as two realities which over like lap each other so it wasn't like heaven like really far away earth really far away or something like that and i found it really profound that what the kingdom of god meant was like god's kingdom on earth and so like Christ coming down, like the, the Bible itself is a narrative of God coming down to earth. So in the tabernacle in the wilderness, 
what is happening. They're not cleansing it so that they can appear before God, but so that God can come down to earth and then appear before them. What is happening in the temple? God is coming down to earth and appearing before men. What is happening in the New Testament? The word became flesh, tabernacled among us. So like God is always coming back to humanity. What do you see at the end of the God at the end of scripture? The heavenly Jerusalem coming down. God is dwelling among his people and they shall be his God and he shall, or they shall be, <laughs> no, <laughs> wrong one. That's actually, nope. Don't listen to me. Um, not, not the serpent. Okay. Ye shall be his gods. They shall be his people and he shall be their God. <laughs> so, uh, Quick clarification there. Words matter. Anyways, so so like I was stri- like very profoundly impacted by the idea that the kingdom of God was a present reality as opposed to like something that happens later. And and so like that started to reshape how I saw the entire thing. I didn't know that, that we believed in the resurrection of the dead. And I believed in the resurrection, but I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know that we actually get our bodies back. I thought that we floated in heaven for all of eternity or something like that. And so like I, I started to see like, wow, like, you know, if we believe certain things from a theological perspective, they're going to form like the way in which we view reality and they can view it like form it in a negative. Like certain people would think like, Oh, it doesn't really matter whether or not you believe in the resurrection of the body. Like you're going to be with God. It's like, no, like that forms a lot of like, like, like if, for example, I remember the church I was at tweeting or posting on Instagram a quote that says the goal is not to live on heaven for, or to live on earth forever, but to leave something that does. And I'm like, I get what you're saying. Cause it's, you're not trying to be uncharitable, but like, that's wrong. And like, that actually leads to like negative misconceptions. And like, people don't like, if you're trying to explain to a non-believer, like, Oh, you can go to heaven to be with God. It's like, why did he create the earth to begin with? But it's like, no, like God created the earth because we were originally intended to dwell on the earth. And so what he's doing through Christ is recreating the earth. Anyways, getting far off, back to my story. I started reading this these books. I started noticing that the early church did not look like my church. And the early church was very liturgical. They believed things like baptism saves. Um, they were accused of being cannibals, um, which to me... I was kind of confused by until I realized that like, you know, Catholics believe that the body and blood of Christ is, um, or the bread and wine at at the time of communion becomes the body and blood of Christ literally transformed. So like, I'm thinking, I'm sitting there like the belief that my Protestant church has, which we only receive communion once every month on a Wednesday, early church centered their entire Christian existence around it. There's no way that they would, be able to call us cannibals if we were back in, in Rome based on what my church believed about Holy communion. And I know there's different beliefs out there among Protestant sects. So like that's not necessarily the, the like end all be all, but like that was immediately turning me way more towards Catholicism and Orthodoxy and Anglicanism. And so I, I kept studying, but the interesting thing was I wanted to move towards Anglicanism because the last thing I wanted to do was ever become a Catholic. Like Catholics, I knew no Catholics that actually seemed to care about their faith. None of them actually wanted to convert me. Um, at least the ones that I was living around at the time. And I never really saw anybody super passionate about the faith. So I just kind of like assumed, like, look, like there would be some fruit there if like it was true, which there is fruit. I just was literally like one of the people that was nowhere near any good Catholics, at least that I had like encountered. Um, and then I found them, but like that came on later. 
And so I never wanted to become Catholic. I knew that everybody in the world, like I knew that the one religious organization that more people hated than any is the Catholic church. Like I, I knew that even as a, as a non-Catholic, I was just like, people don't like Catholics. Like there's so many negative, negative associations around Catholicism, like the summer of shame stuff, the, the sexual abuse crisis that literally was in the news the week that I came back to believing in God. And I remember like seeing that and like, hearing a lot of stuff about it and I was like appalled, you know, yeah. but that was whenever Catholicism was still like way over yonder from my like even realm of Christian belief. And so I, I started seeing all this stuff and the more and more I dug into it, I started to realize like, look, there's something really, really, really weird happened in the 16th century. Like there it was a complete rupture with the continuity of Christianity. Like Christianity is a religion that from its conception is theologically conservative, meaning that the early church was very much so like Calvinist Protestants nowadays, you know, whenever any sort of new like trend comes into the evangelical church, especially like the Hillsong groups, you have a billion Calvinists like condemning it, you know? (laughs) And so my thing is like, I know that there are Catholics that have the kind of temperament that, that, you know, Calvinists have. And like people have always had that in human history, but you never see within the history of Christianity up until the 16th century, some sort of like backlash against Catholic beliefs. Like if the church apostatized, like with Constantine or even before that, like there's no evidence that it happened. There's evidence that the apostle John's disciple, St. Ignatius of Antioch, believed in the real presence enough that he would die for it and he would die for the church. And he called those who didn't believe in it heretics. Like I saw that, but I didn't see the, the, you know, the Baptists or the Calvinists running around back then. And so I remember this was all going down in the spring of 2020, right before COVID hit. Well, I remember over Christmas break that year watching The Chosen, and there was an episode that profoundly impacted me. Whatever you want about The Chosen, I, as a Catholic, have some issues, especially with some stuff in season two, but 95% of it is amazing. And it's, it's really helping a lot of people. So we can just pray that it becomes more and more um, historically accurate. I think the only thing that I kind of didn't like in the last season was whenever they were like acting like there was some like revival rally, whenever Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount, like they were like going out in the towns, like stapling, like, like signs, like <laughs> letting them know to like come to it. But um, that, that's, that's like just nitpicking anyways you have this kind of really compelling character arc between Matthew, two two character arcs between Matthew and Nicodemus in that first first season. And Matthew is this outcast that nobody likes um, that, that is given the opportunity to follow Christ and he leaves behind his entire life immediately. He just says, follow me. And that's what we get in the gospels. He just says, follow me. And Matthew just gets up and leave, you know? And then I see Nicodemus who like wants to follow God, wants to follow Jesus. He, he believes, but he, he just gives him money because he can't leave behind like what he has. And I remember hearing from God 
not like verbal words, but, but something even more piercing than verbal words. Like that is you. If, if Christ showed up on my doorstep and asked me to literally sell all that I have and become poor and follow him and like be a celibate, like I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I had the realization that I wouldn't do it. And so I remember crying like for an entire like hour in the shower, like after like watching that episode, like being like, God, like, I'm sorry. And then also praying a prayer, a small prayer that said, God, wherever you want me to go, I will go. And like, you know, along with that kind of assuming, giving me the strength to do that. And so I started to realize kind of like about two months into my like conversion process or like exploration of the faith that it's like, I think that I accidentally did something I don't want to do whenever <laughs> I said, pray that prayer, because I think I just prayed myself into yeah. the Catholic church possibly. Um, and so but, but at the same time, I'm like going around and, and I have an Eastern Orthodox professor. I, I love Eastern Christianity, big Eastern Catholic. Um, I, I go to divine liturgy on Sundays. I pray the Jesus prayer. I love the Eastern tradition. Um, I, I, I love it. Theosis, everything. Great. Um, and so like I was very attracted to it, but I saw that Peter was necessary. I, I don't see any, any way which he, in which he's not. And I know that almost all Orthodox believe at least in the primacy of Peter and there's no other actual substantial differences. And so like the reality is like in order for the church to be one, like you have to have the Pope. And so (laughs) I wanted to be everything other than a Catholic. And then I ended up becoming a Catholic (laughs) and I kind of begrudgingly became Catholic. Like I remember the one doctrine that I was still fuzzy on was Mary. And uh, I remember like coming to the conclusion that like, yeah, like, Christ had established a, a magisterium, a teaching authority. Magisterium just means like a teacher and a, a teaching authority. And they had established it with Peter and with the other apostles and their successors, who are the bishops, and that this was set in place for the good of the church. So I remember Doug Wilson, a big Protestant uh, Calvinist kind of popular online guy, saying that, he, he gives Rome one thing that in a hundred years, their stance on abortion won't be changed. Their stance on gay marriage won't be changed. Cause like, that's how the system works. You know, you don't just like come up with stuff. You don't change. And I was like, wait a second. That makes so much sense. Like, I feel like that's like the, yeah, like God, Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Like, we can't just come up with a new interpretation of something or say that like Christians were wrong for hundreds of years. You know, like I can't be up there as a Protestant and say like, you know, God just like let his church die for a thousand years, you know, his bride, like he just like let her just like die bleeding, you know, and in fact with all these heresies. And so I got to the point where I believed in the magisterium, but I didn't understand Mary. And so I remember being handed a rosary by this guy who always walks around St. Michael's in Auburn and always hands out rosaries. He's amazing. He's a beautiful man. Pretty sure he might have dementia or like he at least suffers from some sort of memory loss. And so he always like asks like, do you have a rosary? And I'm like, yes, you gave me one yesterday. Um, But uh, he like says, this is for you. And I was like, thank you. And he says, don't thank me. Thank your mother. She told me to give it to you. (laughs) And like, I'm like, okay, like I bet that the Mary didn't necessarily like say, give it to him. But at the same time, I was like, 
Are this a sign where I'm like going down <laughs> the wrong path? So I got in the got in the car and it said, God, like if this is appalling to you and if this is abominable to you, like strike me down right now. But I believe that you want me to do this. And so I I began because I that was kind of my full conversion to Catholicism. And the last bit that I want to stop at before maybe we talk about some of the ramifications of me converting um, is that I remember going to mass my second time and it was a Friday adoration. So they brought out a monstrance and I didn't know what it was at the time. I just saw this gold thing. I remember looking and I I, I think I could kind of tell that it was the Eucharist in there, but I, I really had no idea what it was. I was just staring at the, the tab or the monstrance. And I remember like, like my vision going blurry and like, I, I don't know if it was genuinely supernatural or if it was a natural occurrence that felt supernatural, but I remember being at least profoundly moved internally by the side of that. And like, just like the peace of God, just like reigning in my heart. And, um, yeah. So, so that's where I, I, I decided that I was going to convert. I waited, uh, until after COVID, uh, receded, or at least we were allowed to go back to campuses to tell my friends. Cause I didn't want to just like tell them, <laughs> yeah. um, straight yeah. up, like, like over the phone. Cause that's kind of a big deal, especially whenever some people like that I knew even friends were like very worried for me and very like concerned about Catholics going to hell. And like, I knew that my beliefs were going to cause divisions among friends, family members that like, you know, being a Catholic, like, came with a lot of flack and with a lot of hardships and a lot of like difficulties. And I, I still knew though that like, I didn't want to stand before God one day and not be a Catholic. And so I, I went through RCIA funny enough, one of my best friends, Claire or not Claire, that's my girl's name. One of my best friends, Zoe actually came through uh, RCA with me and she was attending the mega church with me beforehand. And her and I both converted together. And so we, we came into the church at Easter of 2021. And then my life as a Catholic truly began. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Okay. A couple of things I want to dig into here as we go, as we carry on and it's your experience with looking into the early church, like studying the history of, of Christianity. You said that you realized at one point that these early Christians were called cannibals, right? That's 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 historical. We we know that they were called cannibals, and you kind of go, well, wait, no one could accuse me of cannibalism now as a Christian. So, so what gives, right? I think that's a really interesting tension. And at the same time, you mentioned that you didn't see you didn't see Baptists or Calvinists running around in in the early church, right? And again, I hit against. We said before that our stories are kind of similar, Jack. I didn't. I also hit against these these same questions, right? We, if you earnestly study the early church you don't see yourself and your your version of Christianity reflected in there. Well that 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 begs some pretty serious questions. My my friend my friend Rod Bennett has a great challenge that I love to bring up whenever I can with the early church, right? And it's the idea that that if you couldn't bring one of these early church leaders and plunk them down into your church and have them teach from the pulpit and not be not be stoned or thrown out as a heretic. Like if their if their beliefs don't match the beliefs of the, the church that you are in well, something is wrong there because we should be like the earliest Christians. And and I think that's cool that you noticed that, that, that wait a minute, if they can't call me a cannibal, well, 
what, what am I doing wrong that's, that's different than the, the earliest Christians, right? I think that's really interesting, Jack. Yeah, and, and the thing is that the more I've studied just kind of the nature of, of Christianity and the nature of the story of salvation, the more it makes sense. Like the Holy Spirit is given to his church to lead them into all truth. And, and so these early Christians are handing down the faith. And that's like the most near and dear thing to their heart is to hand down the faith to people and to present it well and to present it accurately. And like, yes, human beings are sinful. That's a hundred percent true. But we all have to recognize that God, in some way or another, if you're a Protestant or you're a ca- or, or a Catholic, God infallibly uses, infallibly teaches through a person at some point to you. Like if you receive the gospel from somebody, you have been infallibly taught to by God, the Holy Spirit through that person. Yeah. So like, the reality is is that that the word is alive, and it is alive in those people who he is recreating God's word is alive in those people. And, and they are the ones who have been entrusted with the message of salvation. And the church is entrusted, was entrusted with the scriptures so that those could be pronounced undefiled for the, until the consummation of the age. And so I think I really, really like started to think like, what would that say about God? If he just within like, not even like 10, 10 years, you know, with St. Ignatius of Antioch, like there's this guy who's really zealous about the faith and like clearly like wants to please God that he was led out of truth. And like the whole entire Christian church apostatized. There's only one group of Christians that say the church never like fell away from the faith. That's Catholics. Yeah. And like, that makes sense. You know, like Christ has one bride and it's the church. And that church, just like the nation of Israel, has both visible and invisible elements to it. But the visible and the invisible aren't disconnected. Like you could say it like, you know, some Baptist churches that would say there is a visible part of the church, but like they don't really overlap with the invisible part of the church. They're just kind of like this weird structure that's kind of like set out in front of people, but it's, it's not necessarily indicative of reality. Like the Catholic church, it's just like the incarnation, the visible and the invisible a hundred percent mingle without mixture or, um, you know, defi- not defiling, but like, I guess, dividing the other, like it's, it's incarnational. And so the more that I enculturated myself in the Catholic church, the more that, that no other form of Christianity outside of even maybe orthodoxy, like makes sense. Like as far as like Protestantism made no sense to me anymore. Like it, it, it still does, doesn't. And like, I know very many beautiful Christians that, that are Protestant, but I think that if we take a step back and actually look at the historical context of the, the old Testament, what God is doing in the nation of Israel, what God has promised to do in reality, that we start to realize like, not only is like Protestantism not true, but like if we begin to believe these things, then we miss actually the actual point. And I can get into that a little bit more if, if you want me to, but I, I, I remembered the more that I studied these things that I had some profound like realizations about the nature of salvation and like why, like the whole like Protestant Catholic debate actually makes like little sense whenever you like look at it on its face value. 
Yeah, well, you mentioned too studying Second Temple Judaism, right? With the NT right, and for me, guy Catholic guys, I I encountered Brant Petrie pretty early on in my my exploration of the Catholic faith and a guy like John Bergsma, these guys who look into the Old Testament and then look back in the New Testament and, and our practice of the faith through that lens of Judaism, through a deep understanding of historical, biblical, Old Testament Judaism, and the insights that you come to when you read the, the New Testament and the Old Testament in light of, you know, even the example you give of what these words actually mean, like looking at actual in context, studying the history of, of, of these things in detail in their Jewish context. There, there's so much more, like you said, the process and future doesn't make sense anymore. And I, 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 I agree, Jack. I mean, reading the scriptures through that Jewish lens makes much more sense of Catholicism than it does of any other kind of form of Christianity, like the, the the continuity between Old Testament and New Testament, like the the tabernacle in the old and in the new, like the the way God works in the old and the new, that the the priesthood, like the hierarchy, the Eucharist, all these things, the sacraments, like all these that kind of economy, that kind of theology, all these things make just make a lot of sense, and and you can take it or leave it if you as somebody exploring Catholicism. But if you give it all a fair shake and, and actually read scriptures in the context of what the Jewish people were writing about as as Jews who wrote the New Testament, right? Paul and the apostles, the evangelists, they were writing from a Jewish context. If you actually explore the New Testament and the Old Testament in in context, in continuity. Take it or leave it, but the Catholic faith makes and explains things in a radically, I think, more clear and more logical and more cohesive way than than my evangelical Christianity made sense of those things, right? And I think you found the same thing too. Yeah, and so there's there's actually two things that I that come to mind about that, and one of them is that if you like, I think that if you're a Protestant out there and evangelical out there listening to this and you think that like, like, and, and this is kind of an innocent belief that like, even I had, I'm sure you had at one point, Keith, that like I can just pick up a Bible and like understand what's going on. And like, God, God, like will like break through to me and like, tell me like, what is going, what, what it means in here. Like it essentially makes it, it it nullifies the incarnation in a way. Like if you're saying that 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 God like speaks across like all culture groups through his like one incarnate human life, like and what I don't I don't mean that the gospel is not applicable to people that aren't Jews, but like Christ. The reality of being a human being is that you grow up in a particular yeah, place yes, in a particular yes, culture yes. in a particular time. And so like, yes, Jesus is fully divine, but he also as a human being was fully human. He was fully human, a hundred percent God, a hundred percent man, not a demigod, not, not half and half, a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. God, the son took on the flesh of a human person. And it wasn't like the soul of God went into a human body. Like literally it's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And you and I and everybody else is listening to this has grown up in a certain culture with certain preconceived notions about things, certain idioms and catchphrases. Like, you know, 
there's there's so many like little phrases that people say that if you read them in a different culture, like it wouldn't make sense. Like I remember hearing that there's something like in, in France where they say this thing, like don't cook the carrots. And it means like, don't like do something too quick or something like that. Like it makes no sense to us. Like we read that. It's like, don't cook the carrots. And you're like, what does that mean? You know, I'm cooking them. but say like stuff in the old Testament. Yeah. I mean, there's a very possible, very real plausibility that whenever you see like it talking about like, and they like, utterly destroyed them the men the women the children whatever that that's like a that's like a catch phrase that like they used in that old day and age to like illustrate just the fact that they destroyed the like that they really like defeated them pretty handily you know and there's other like catchphrases and idioms you know that that christ talks about like that that they don't make sense to us unless you understand them within a jewish context you know and so like in order to appreciate the beauty of the incarnation we have to recognize that jesus was a jewish man he was a Jewish man that lived in the sec- in the first century, and he was a hundred percent God, a hundred percent God. But he was also a hundred percent man, and so the words in which he says he was speaking to people in a particular place and time, knowing that that people across history would read it, but also knowing that he would found a church and s- commission men to go out and preach in his name he didn't tell any of them to write he told them to preach and teach and you will utilize writing in your teaching sometimes you also utilize the written word or the the spoken word here's a hypothetical for you keith saint thomas and for the listeners out there thanks saint thomas uh, allegedly went and preached in india And I believe that most Christians would affirm that. Um, I believe that it's a tradition. I don't believe that just because something's a tradition that it's not true. I think that's kind of an atheist skepticism. Whenever human beings like want to guard something like the place that the upper room was at, like Christians, if there was something like Pentecost that happened, like they would remember where it was and they would like try and cherish that. So like, it's not beyond conception that like that's actually where, you know, Pentecost happened. Same thing where, with where the, the, the apostles traveled. The apostle Thomas went to India and he never wrote anything. The church in India never got written letters that, or any of the written letters that now appear in the, the Bible. So like, did the Christians, whenever the apostle Thomas died, just be like, yo, like, sola scriptura, you know, like, no, they were like, we received the word of Christ from the apostle Thomas. So we're going to hold fast to that faith. We're going to hold fast to the teachings that he gave to us. And those teachings can be found in scripture and like some of the epistles, because it's a universal teaching. Like Paul is teaching the same thing, maybe in a different culture, but the same thing is, as Thomas is. And so like, what, what, what are we supposed to believe if we're like, Bible only Christians, like were certain Christians, like subpar Christians or like, you know, given a disadvantage. Also, why did God come at a time in history where nobody had access to, to books? <laughs> if, if he was going to found an entire like faith upon a book, you know, like interestingly enough though, I remember learning recently that 
the Portuguese, whenever they were colonizing India in the time of colonialism, I don't know if it was 1700s, 1800s or whatever, or maybe even earlier, they got to, to India thinking that they were going to have to, to baptize these pagans, you know, and to like, convert them. Then they got there and they were like, wait a second. <laughs> these guys are Christians. <laughs> you know, they're like, they're doing the exact same stuff as us. They had no communication with each other for, for 1200 years for, for more than that, maybe even like since the time of the gospel, since the time the apostles went off and the same faith was there. It's like, that's also a testament to, to the unity and the, the con- continuity of faith, right? Keith is that like in Coptic Egypt yeah. and in, in yeah. Ethiopian Africa in Norway and Russia in the U S like all of these places, the gospel, I mean, not the U S technically, but the gospel <laughs> for 1500 years manifests itself in different cultures, but it was all recognizable to be of apostolic origin. We received this from him who received it from him, who received it from him, who received it from an apostle going back all the way, you know? So anyways, I think that those are some like, like thoughts that I've recently even had them like, wow, like, like imagine, you know, he, most of the apostles didn't write, you know, like, but, but were they not teaching the word of God? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so fascinating. I had Jimmy Aiken from Catholic Answers on the show way back when talking about the Bible and it didn't occur to me until he mentioned this, that, you know, we all, we all, no matter who you are, no matter, no matter if you're the most Bible only kind of Protestant who says, no, I read the Bible in my own context. I interpret it. God speaks through me. And I, that's my interpretation of the Bible. And it's the right one because God's speaking through me apart from, you know, in, in, in a vacuum, which is really an extreme example. I don't think yeah. those people really, really exist in, in reality, despite people wanting to say they're Bible. Alone. There's always context. And for me, that realization was, well, somebody's handed you that Bible. Like, you know, exactly. I became I became Christian, evangelical at the age of, say, 13 or so, went to the local Christian supply store, and a lady gave me a Bible and I asked for one. The extreme teen New King James version of the Bible was my first Bible, but she handed that Bible to me. And so yep. even even for me, like that was that was literally handed on to me. And that and if you go, okay, well that's the Bible though. Well, yeah, where does that come from? Okay, it comes from the publisher who bound that and put it in. But okay, but where did the publisher get that? Their manuscripts from right, and you could go back and back and back. And at some point, even a Bible only Christian has to say, "Well, yeah, these apostles wrote things. These guys wrote things. The evangelists wrote things, and they got put into this this book." You still have to, at some point. Say well, how do we know that's the that's the right book, and those are the right p- pages in there, and those are the yeah. right letters that are included in there, and there weren't letters that that Timothy wrote, or that Thomas wrote in India that should have been in there, or something, or that this letter of Paul's, you know, doesn't deserve to to be in there. Like there's at, yeah. at some point, even somebody who's just lying on the Bible, I I realized has to trace it back to to, to something, and and I don't know where you go, it's got to be that tradition that was for the first 1,500 years kind of handed on. Like the, the the church that said, yeah, this is the Bible. This is the collection of books we believe, right? And it's handed on year after year, person to person. Like the, the the Reformation kind of throws all that up into up into question again. And actually, we do find that, you know, Luther kind of moved some books out of what was the canon that the church had accepted for, for a very long time. So it's... 
yeah, they're they're fascinating questions that you begin to encounter when you yeah. when you ask these things, right? I think the other thing for me that you said that was really interesting, Jack, was you kind of had the magisterium first and and then Mary. Like and that's that's I think really interesting for a lot of people to kind of unpack. I know people on this journey, like still, still the number one thing that people encounter is a stumbling block coming from evangelical Christianity into the Catholic faith is Mary. Every, every single time. I, I have theories on that and how Satan, I think, has pitted Mary against a lot of the people who potentially could be believers apart from that stumbling block. I think that's a diabolical work, but that's maybe a, a conspiracy theory for a different time, Jack. But so many people... No, no, you're right. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I think so. So many people, though, I think eventually realize what you, what you realize, what I also realize in my own journey too, right? Is that, okay, if I accept that the Catholic Church has this authority that comes from Christ to the apostles, they pass on to the bishops in succession, right down through till today. If I accept that magisterial authority, well, then they, it must be right about this, 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 and this. And often Mary is in that one of those thises, right? If it's right on all these other things, and I believe that this is the church Christ founded, it must be right about Mary. So I can be Catholic and can see that I don't necessarily understand or agree with all of these things but I know enough to know that this is the place I want to be. And time after time, I find people on this show say they, they do that and realize quite quickly, yeah, you know what? This is true. I do I do very quickly I'm moved by the Spirit and I want to begin to see this practiced, understand these things that for me were stumbling blocks, but I just said, okay, I'm going to put that aside and become Catholic because I believe enough to do that, right? That's, I think that's a, that's a, a good expression of, I mean, a good a good a good path to pursue, I think, right? We often think we have to have all these things figured out before we uh, dig a bit deeper, right? But there's that, if the church is what it says it is, and we accept that, well, these things we can accept too, kind of by default, right? That makes sense. Yeah, and so I, I would say the one thing that people should always check on is like, okay, what is the one Catholic belief that is the most like found foundational Maybe not the most important, but what's most foundational. And so Joe Heschmeyer, you, who you've interviewed before, he says that like the only belief that, that Catholics have that no other Christian group does is the papacy. Now, Protestants and Catholics may disagree on a lot, but no other Christian group, including the Orthodox, believe in the papacy in the form in which we believe in. And so all you really need to do is like look into that one. And if you see that that's true, then like, yes, I'm not telling you to like, not research other areas. Cause like as human beings, like we can see like one piece of a paradigm, like look pretty close to being it. Like you're like, Oh, this looks like it's true. But then you're like, Oh, but everything else is wrong. So therefore like, I'm just going to discount this piece of evidence, which can be noble. I mean, and, and also like accurate, like it is good to like, if you have a full system and like there's one piece that kind of doesn't look right, but you still should still explore that more. So like explore the other things, but really focus on the papacy um, and, and I kind of want to touch back on one thing that you said about Mary. And I think I have, I have this theory and I think <laughs> that the reason, the reason that, that Mary and the saints are so maligned and despised is demonic. And I say that not because it's like, oh, like Mary and the saints like want fame or something like that. No, I think that what Calvinism and what a lot of evangelical 
denominations that kind of follow that suit, especially in America um, and any other Protestant group that believes that we shouldn't venerate the saints or we shouldn't, you know, pray to the saints. And what I mean by pray is like ask for the intercession of is that they're missing what salvation means and what the whole entire picture of God's plan for creation is. His, his, his original intent for humankind is to be co-creators with him, to, to be his creatures who act in the world as his representative, who God, God doesn't need us. He doesn't, he doesn't need, he doesn't need Mary. Like, like he doesn't need St. Paul. He wants them though. He wants to, in his infinite goodness, help us to realize that we were created for communion and that no part of the body of Christ can say to the other that I do not need you. That he wants us to rely on other human beings, not just God and I, but God and his creatures and his creation, because creation is a sacrament. So you encounter God through his creation. And guess what's part of his creation? The Blessed Virgin Mary. Guess what's part of his creation? The saints. Guess what's part of the creation? Keith and I, you know, and everybody listening to this. And what Protestantism misses, especially the versions of Protestantism that, that kill Catholics for being faith plus works, is that we are talking about two fundamentally different realities. As Catholics, we are looking at the story of scripture, the story of God's plan with humanity and seeing, okay, we were created for a purpose. We were created in a certain order. We were created to be like God, to love, to, to have no ego within us, but to be completely for the other and to be completely receptive to the other. And through the fall, man fell and the divine life was stripped from us. And so we are not as we ought to be. We are less than human in a certain, in certain senses, we are less than human because we're less than the full plan that God had for us. Cause there's a lack of a good. We're not in communion with God anymore. So the whole plan of salvation history, if you look through the old Testament, God sets apart a special people so that he can bring about the savior. And in this chosen people, we see that even though he gives a law, which is good, he gives them a law because they can't, they don't know what's good or or bad. So he gives them a law to like, let them know like what is right and what is wrong. But like Paul says, the, the spirit gives life, but the, the, the letter killeth or the law killeth. And what he means by that is that the law just given to a human being outside of, of the action of God's grace and God's life dwelling within them, because we were never meant to be creatures on our own, is insufficient for our salvation. And what is God saving us from? The fact that we're not hu- fully human. The fact that we have fallen from being in communion with him. The fact that we are not who we are supposed to be. Like that's salvation. Salvation is saving me from my selfishness. So God is saving me, has saved me, is saving me and will hopefully save me unless I decide to mess it up. (laughs) And even then, because God loves us a lot, he's going to be very, 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 he's going to chase us until the very end. 
Yeah. But it's through this encounter that we see an encounter with scripture that we see that all the old Testament passages, which talk about the new Testament covenant, the new covenant, it says, I will give them, I will um, sprinkle them with water and they shall be cleaned baptism. And I will remove from them the heart of stone that they have and put within them a heart of flesh, a new heart I will give them, and a new spirit I will give them. And then in Jeremiah 31, 31, he says, I will put my law in their hearts. So like, you know, when Paul says, we wrote on, not on stone tablets, but on human hearts. It's like the spirit writes the law of God in our hearts. The law which points us to, uh, back to how to be like God. The law is ultimately a compass and we don't have the life to get to where the compass is taking us if we don't have God living in us because we were always meant to be in communion with God. We cannot be saved without God. And so what Christ does is that he redeems our humanity by taking it on by the incarnation. And then he as the new Adam recreates humanity and invites all of humanity to participate in that. And that looks like becoming fully human. That looks like receiving the Holy spirit at Pentecost. The church received the Holy spirit at Pentecost and every Christian receives it through their baptism and their confirmation. And as we receive the Holy spirit, we recall what God did for us on Sinai and then what he did for us in the upper room. You know what the Feast of Pentecost is, Keith? You know what it was in ancient Judaism? Tell me, tell me, tell us. This is something that I, it blew my mind because I was studying, um, I did another course with Dr. Jardine, the, the philosophy professor, or the philosophy slash political theory professor who was Catholic. And I did it on Catholic, like the issue of salvation. This is after I'd become Catholic because I wanted to understand it more. Read a book by Brant Petrie that I recommend everybody get yeah. called, called Paul, a new covenant Jew. He wrote it with a couple other people, Michael Barber. Um, and I forgot the last person, but amazing book. And, um, I was reading this and so I was like being really profoundly impacted by the fact that like, no, like whenever we say that a man is righteous, like we mean that like he's actually just like God literally justifies humanity. And by justifies, it means he makes him righteous. So like God doesn't just declare us to be righteous, but he literally makes us righteous. So I, I I'm having all these thoughts and seeing how like the old Testament talks about like putting a new heart in them, putting a, putting like the law upon their heart. And I see the law is given at Mount Sinai, et cetera. So then I look up, like, why does the Holy Spirit come on Pentecost? Because I know that the Holy Spirit's the key to understanding, like, the difference between Protestants and Catholics is we believe that the reception of the Holy Spirit and the conformity to God and to be, being recreated in Christ fully into a new human is the ultimate thing of salvation. So, like, Pentecost is super significant. The Feast of Pentecost, Keith is what Christ, what Jewish people would celebrate 50 days after the Passover. It was a celebration of the, the Torah, the law being given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And then what happens in the new covenant, the new Passover, the new Mount Sinai, 
except this time the law will not have no effect because it's written on stone. No, the law will be have its full effect because it will be written on our heart and we'll be right back into communion with God. And so whenever I started seeing that, I'm like, yo, like <laughs> I got to tell everybody about this because like, that's what the Christian story is about. The Christian story is the greatest story that was ever told. It is about how God infinitely good and completely perfect in and of himself created humanity. And when his creature had fallen, he did not leave it into despair, but he came and he, he, he stooped down to its level, becoming a man and deifying human nature and recreating creation. So the point of the, the gospel is that God's, new world has been opened and like we're, we're invited to be a part of it. That's what the resurrection is about. And that's what we experience in the sacraments of the church. We experience new life in the Holy spirit. And like as sinful as you and I are Keith, God still does a lot of work in us. And so it's, it's just absolutely incredible. And, and I love, I love being Catholic for that reason. It is, it is, there's no other way to be human than to be Catholic. <laughs> And my, it, like, I'm just being genuine. There's no other way to be fully human than to be Catholic. And that's not because the word Catholic is special, but it just means that we are a part of God's, of Christ's body. We are part, we are in Christ. We are in Christ and he is making us a new creation. And that's what we're invited to be a part of. So I know we've been going on for a while because I talk a lot, but that's just kind of like my last pitch to like anybody out there, like, please look into this stuff. If you're a Protestant or an evangelical, if you're a Catholic, appreciate it even more and appreciate what Christ has given to you. Like this is, this is the gospel that you are invited to be a new creation. Yeah. It's wonderful. <laughs> That's amazing, Jack. I, <laughs> I love that. I love that. You, you mentioned, and I want to ask you one more thing, because I think this is, I know that part of the genesis of your podcast was kind of to begin to explain your crazy life change to a lot of people around you. Uh, yeah. what, what was the reaction like to people? Because I know for for me, I mean, it was, it was profound for my wife and I. We both, we both, I became Catholic and she became Catholic the year after I became Catholic. But we had this weird year of, of kind of wandering between two different places. But for us, we left a church that we had kind of helped to get off the ground in some cases. We'd been, we were married in, all our friends were there. We'd served in every ministerial role you could in that church, running all kinds of different things in different stages of our lives. That was for us, like the, the thing that bond, bound us together was our faith and this church was at the center of that. So for us leaving that, we had a lot of friends who were confused. And I mean, I began blogging, like blog, old school blogging in, in 2014 to to work out for me and a few of my friends who were reading this blog what I was thinking and doing. That was the catalyst for, for writing in, about my conversion experience was to try and help people understand the, what crazy things I was thinking. Uh, and that was hard. Like there were some, there were some rough experiences. I, I, at one point before my conversion brought what I was thinking to to my pastor, a guy who I'd known for for a dozen or, or more years, and said to him, "Here, look, here's what I'm thinking. You know, what do you what do you think of these different arguments, these different questions I have?" And it kind of just fell flat. He was like, "Well, I don't I don't really know. It doesn't seem like it's important to me." And I was kind of like, oh, "Wow, this is like this is this is huge." I get now that I was on my journey, and he had you know wasn't I I thought everyone had thought these things true too. Like I hadn't, and of course people hadn't. 
what what for you was that experience like? Uh, of people around you kind of going, here's this guy who is who's super zealous for his faith. Like he's he's he loves his stuff. He's running these Bible studies and, and youth groups and really involved in these things. What what was the reaction like for you? So interestingly enough, I thought that I was going to lose a bunch of friends, et cetera, yeah. whenever I became Catholic. And I did in the sense of I wasn't hanging around them as much anymore. Um, and just by virtue of, you know, converting, like, I guess people may want to keep a little bit of arm's length if you're Catholic and they may have questions about like whether or not you're saved, et cetera. But I, I more so experienced this kind of apathy of like, Oh, that's like cool. I think that's kind of like the most dangerous part about Christianity nowadays is it's just like we've become secular relativists in like the evangelical world. Um, and I don't mean we, but when I was a part of it, um, like we in, in certain groups of Christianity, we think that, you know, like as all, all the matters that you love Jesus and I'm like, okay, well, how do you love him? You keep his commandments. And it's like, some of those commandments aren't just like thou shalt. It's like, no, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church yeah, and the gates yeah, yeah. of hell will not prevail against it. <laughs> um, and that, you know, you can be excommunicated from the church. So there's like more, like you've got to be a part of the body of Christ. Um, and what that looks like and what that sounds like is, is very Catholic according to the early church. Um, but I definitely experienced some pushback. Then also some, just apathy. But I will say that one of the most beautiful things is that I got to be confirmed with one of my best friends in the entire world. Zoe, I wish I had a lot more time to to talk with her and, and catch up with her um, because she's such a wonderful person. Um, I, I feel like with my, my new job, I've just been a little bit like all over the place. And so I'm really, my like, my like fatal flaw, and this is where Christ has to sanctify me is like, I, am terrible at responding to text messages, like just the worst, like literally, literally the worst in the world. And like, it's not necessarily because I'm virtuous and just like pious praying the Jesus prayer, praying a rosary in the corner. It's more so like, I just like, I'm being like lazy or like not yeah. being organized. Sorry, um, Zoe. Yeah. Sorry, Zoe. I love you, Zoe. Uh, Zoe is literally one of the best people I've ever met in my entire life though. She's amazing. Um, and so I was super glad to come into the church with her. She's got one of the biggest hearts on the planet. Um, but I came into the church with her and then a year later, two years later this year, my dad and my stepmom are going through RCA. Um, my stepmom grew up Catholic, but kind of had some bad experiences in the church um, and had a really profound experience with some sisters actually recently um, at, a, at a vacation Bible study. And my dad um, listened to a lot of my podcasts and other things. And he's going through <laughs> RCIA and um, it's really beautiful. Like, praise God. It's so cool. Um, especially because like my dad and I, a lot of, in a lot of ways, we shared our faith for a while. And like, that was kind of like my dad and I were very deep guys and like very like emotional, emotional and deep guys. And so like, whenever I became Catholic, it felt like we were a little bit more at odds in the sense of like, like no, nothing from him or nothing from me. It was just kind of like awkward. Cause yeah, like, it's, yeah. it, it seemed so different, even though in reality it wasn't that different. And we still had like conversations, et cetera. Like I, it wasn't like that bad, but like now I feel like we're going to be able to share so much more. Um, and 
he's also somebody that I need to call way more. <laughs> I'm, I'm really bad, guys. I'm just confessing this to everybody <laughs> online. I am not the best at, at responding to uh, text Ooh, messages. So sorry, Dad. Um, even even my girlfriend can attest to that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I um, I I love them so much, and I'm so glad that my dad is um, becoming Catholic. Cause I always wanted him to. Um, and, uh, I want everybody to become Catholic because I believe that that's where we become recreated in Christ and it's the only way to be human. And, um, seeing my dad text me saying that I'm going to be, ra- I'm really excited to raise your s- siblings, Paisley and Luke in the Catholic church because they're young was like the best text message I've ever received in my entire life. So like, despite kind of some lukewarmness or not lukewarmness, but just kind of apathy, the two best things in my entire life have happened. Plus like a bunch of really great things, just like getting to become friends with a lot of Catholics that are just like so beautiful and so wonderful friends for life. People that will be one day at my wedding, God willing, or if God decides to take me off track at my professions of something. Um, And yeah, I, I've received though the two, the two of the greatest gifts ever going into the church with one of my best friends in the entire world, Zoe Davis, and then um, my dad and my stepmom and my two siblings becoming Catholic. Um, and I feel like I've grown a relationship with my mom as well. I've grown a relationship with everybody because I'm just challenged to be a better human, to love people. Um, I fail at that literally every five seconds, but I feel like like Christ is continually like calling me deeper into love. And, and so that's been despite kind of the apathy, like, I guess you can chalk it up to like a millimeter of the, the amount of apathy that Christ encountered during his life. You know, like Fulton Sheen said that if Christ came back, he'd probably be more pained by our indifference than he was by the crucifixion. And I, I'm like, that's true. And honestly, the funny thing is I'm not like calling out other people and leaving myself unavailable, um, for, for criticism because apathy doesn't just look like not like, you know, caring about, me becoming Catholic or like caring about like stuff or the differences that are between various Christian denominations. Um, the apathy looks like me, like not doing what I'm supposed to do, yeah. walking by a homeless person and like not praying for them and such or not giving them whatever I can or, you know, not loving the the kids that are in front of me. Like if I'm at, if I'm at one of the schools that um, my organization works for, um, or not works for my organization like runs. So, um, like that, that looks in various different ways, but yeah, I, I think that, that dude, I mean, just being Catholic's awesome, man. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just it. the best thing ever. Like you just, you just gotta be Catholic. Like it's, it's the way to live. It's the way to be a human. It is the way to, to be, it's a new way to be human. It's, it's something that you've never seen before. And I can guarantee it. It seems like it's weird. It's like, you know, like it's going back, back old school. We're all into this like progressive thing where it's like humanity is like going forward, man, you know, but it's like, nah, dude, you got to go back. You got to go back in time and then you'll find something timeless, you know? And so it's, 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 it's not changing with the times it's, it's been there forever, but it's also new. It's ever ancient, ever new, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, that's all I got to say. Uh, Being you, Catholic's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Well, you've convinced <laughs> me, Jack. You've convinced me. I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> that's amazing. I, 
can tell because we talked way longer than I thought we were going to. Yeah. And I, 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 I'm not saying that in a bad way. I, I wanted to keep talking because I love this, but. Uh, that's fantastic. I, and I appreciate all your time. And this is a, a fantastic conversation. And I, I'm glad, I'm glad we didn't stop an hour ago. <laughs> this is great, Jack. Yeah. Listen, I, I want you to point people towards where they can find more of, of your stuff, uh, find you, uh, follow you, listen to the podcast. Where do you want to point them towards? Because uh, I know I want to hear more from you, Jack. You're convincing me to become Catholic. Um, wait, wait a second. <laughs> you are. We can always we can yeah. always be convinced to become more Catholic. Yes, and understand more it's of a our daily, faith. I, daily conversion. Yeah, so it is okay. Yeah. Where can people go to find more from you, Jack? So I run the What Is Truth podcast that will be found on basically any of your you know mainstream podcasting platforms. I also run an Instagram account at What Is Truth Pod. So What Is Truth Pod. So like short for podcast. Um, I I am probably going to. I would I'd recommend listening to all the stuff there if if you like have free time or whatever. But I'm I'm actually taking uh, about to be taking a little bit of a break. I think because um, I just started entering into a relationship with my uh, girlfriend, Claire, and seriously discerning possibly marriage in the future, and then also starting my first ever, like, you know, real job. So, like, <laughs> I, I'm trying to learn, like, the balance of that um, because I'm, I – the, the organization that I work for is a, is a lay apostolate called Seton Teaching Fellows. Um, and, and so, actually, I, I'm going to include this in my, like, where to direct people. Um, I, I really would recommend anybody out there that's um, – that's a young Catholic who's really passionate about stuff like this is passionate about catechesis, passionate about um, teaching the magisterium, passionate about growing in holiness and growing closer to Christ to um, especially if you're recent college graduate, you're in college or like you're a young adult, consider uh, becoming a Seton teaching fellow because uh, it, it's just like this really awesome, radical like adventure that I've been on the past year and a half where I'm living in the Bronx, New York City, which I'm from Alabama. Never would have thought that I would be living in, in New York City. Like I'm from like rural like area, like very rural. And um, living here has made me a much holier person. Um, and I can say that through um, like a lot of a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. But like Christ like has found a way to continue to sanctify me. And I think that, that doing a year of mission um, is a really amazing thing to enable us to actually be more bold in like talking to other people about our faith. Like I, I just have grown like way more bold in like discussing things with friends. Um, and, and I think that for various reasons, considering a year of mission, especially if you're into teaching and like this kind of stuff, apologetics, like great, great resource. But I say that because part of my job now is I'm going to be starting a podcast for Seton teaching fellows. Um, and so like, I'm going to be running a podcast there as well. So I'm, I'm kind of like, trying to reset and maybe rethink about like how I want to, to go about the podcast in the future. But I would recommend like, if you want to go on there and scroll through um, like any of the episodes that I've done and click on them, that possibly benefits you. I really love the episode <laughs> on the Jesus prayer with father Deacon Dragani. A lot of the Eastern Catholic stuff that I've done has been great. Um, but in the meantime, while I'm on maybe possibly a leave of absence, I'm going to be uploading a couple more episodes because I have some stuff in the reserve. Um, but while I'm on a sort of leave of absence as I try and figure out how to be an adult, um, and how to <laughs> be sanctified in the, the present, uh, incarnational reality that I'm in, um, 
Keith does a very similar thing that I do. So he, you know, we can just continue to listen to him. So um, anyways, yeah. So what is truth pod at what is truth pod um, or what is truth podcast at what is truth pod um, follow at seat and teaching fellows and um, consider becoming a missionary catechist or praying for our kids. So we have a lot of wonderful, beautiful kids and um, yeah. So I, I think you plugged my podcast in there at one point. So thank oh, you. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah. No, plug, 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 uh, Albert Little. Yeah. It's so funny because I'm also friends with Cordial or with Grassroot Catholic on Instagram. Yeah, both of you are named Keith. It's tricky. Both of you are named Keith. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you both of you have a yellow logo. So I was about yeah. to say, I was about to say Grassroot Catholic, but I'm like, yeah. no, I'm on Cordial Catholic. I, I so. appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. My arch nemesis, <laughs> the other Catholic. There's a couple of Catholic Keiths and we're all at, at, uh, uh, spiritual warfare to determine who is the who is the the holiest of the Catholic Keats, and I'm in a, in a decidedly dead last in, in that oh, competition. Dude. I might I, have to take a clip, this clip and ask if I can post it on Instagram as a meme. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, I love he's, that. He's going down. Yeah, he's going down. <laughs> Uh, Jack, thanks for everything. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, telling us your story. Thanks for the podcast you do. Uh, the work with the teaching fellows you're doing, that's awesome stuff as well. Uh, uh, so I want to say God bless you and all that stuff you're doing. Uh, in being that's an adult, fun. good luck with that. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, I, I have another good friend who who's a, a voracious YouTuber who just got married and he said, you know what? I'm going to figure out now this, this, this life bounce. How do you do it? How do you have a Is that gospel and, simplicity? Yeah. Is that Austin? Austin yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to figure yeah. it out. No, I've noticed that his stuff has gone down significantly yeah, since then and I don't blame him. Like it just, it's just a completely different reality. Yeah, it's um, but it's good because yeah. God is, God doesn't need me to do certain things. Like he delights in, in working through me in a podcast, but like I'm, I'm called to become a saint and I've realized like, I need to at least first like right, like really do the things that I'm called to and and my priorities well. Yeah. Um and then yeah. I'll continue with yeah. the the podcast. That's, so it's good I may never say. take a break. Yeah. I have a lot of stuff that are coming out, but um I think that I might have to take a break. Yeah. So Very we'll good. see. Well thanks so much for being here, uh Jack. God bless you and the work you're doing uh for the church each and every day. And thanks, thanks for hanging out for for a while here and uh take care. That's how it goes, guys. You get a girlfriend and you got to quit the podcast, right? That's just the order of things, I think, sometimes. <laughs> Shout out to Jack for being on this week's episode of the show. Uh, what a great guy. I put out a call on Twitter a while back. I had a guest cancel uh, their spot on the show or postpone or move around because of sickness. I put out a call to people that I was following or were following me that looking for guests, and Jack volunteered. And I'm so glad to connect with him once again. I was on his show a while back, and... Uh, happy to have him come on this program and tell his story because it was a fantastic one. Hopefully you enjoyed that. I thought it was great. Didn't want to cut him off or stop him at any point. It was a great story. Hopefully you listened to the end here and enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having that conversation. TheCordialCatholic.com is our show. Feedback can come to CordialCatholic at gmail.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at CordialCatholic and The Cordial Catholic on Facebook. And hey, we're actually Cordial Catholic on TikTok as well these days for some little small form videos we're putting out there just to test the waters. So, so check us out there as well. YouTube.com slash The Cordial Catholic. And uh, hey, if you want to support this show, head over to PayPal.me slash Cordial Catholic for a one-time donation or Patreon.com slash Cordial Catholic for monthly support of this show. That helps the show 
to keep going and growing and make it able for me to do this thing each and every week. So thank you in advance for considering support of this mission and the show. Guys, thanks for listening. Talk to you again next week. Please pray for me. I am praying for you each and every day. Thanks for listening. Take care and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.